Which day is officially the hottest in recorded human history? And which country just agreed to a debt-to-nature swap? It's time for this week's Climate Recap. Hit the subscribe button below if you want to stay updated on the climate crisis and clean energy transition. Many parts of the world hit new heat records thanks to a combination of the El Nino and climate change. In fact, July 3rd was globally the hottest day in recorded human history, according to the U.S. National Center for Environmental Prediction. It beat the previous record set in August 2016. That's wild because it's just the beginning of the summer right now. On the flip side, climate change-related lawsuits are also heating up. Multoma County, Oregon, which includes Portland, recently announced it's suing several fossil fuel companies, the American Petroleum Institute, and the PR giant McKenzie & Co. over misleading the public about fossil fuels' impacts on the environment. That lawsuit premise isn't unique, but what is unique is that this case specifically blames the defendants for an extreme weather event that climate studies have shown wouldn't have happened if not for climate change the 2021 heat dome. As a reminder, the Delhi heat dome overtook the Pacific Northwest in the early summer of 2021, causing temperatures to reach as high as 116 degrees Fahrenheit. It for sure killed 69 people and caused major property damage. I said for sure because a New York Times analysis found that 600 more people died in Oregon and Washington during that heat wave than would have been typical. The Oregon County is seeking more than $1.5 billion in damages from the API, Peabody Energy, ConocoPhillips, Occidental Petroleum, Coke Industries, and McKenzie & Co. The fossil fuel companies are hoping this case will get thrown out. The Supreme Court has made a lot of controversial rulings over the past few weeks. I want to talk about one that has an environmental justice impact. The conservative supermajority sided with Arizona 5-4 in Arizona v. Navajo Nation, saying that the U.S. government is not required to take affirmative steps to secure water for the tribe, because that provision is not explicitly stated in the Navajo Treaty of 1868. According to the judges, it's not their job to rewrite a, in my opinion, racist treaty written over 150 years ago. If the federal government doesn't have the rights to farm or mine land in indigenous territory, it also doesn't have the responsibility to make sure the people on the land have access to drinking water. This despite the fact that the Navajo Nation was there before colonizers. Furthermore, the Supreme Court decision makes it even more difficult for indigenous people to have a voice when Colorado River water allotments are decided between states. The previous Colorado River water agreement we talked about in an earlier recap excluded the tribes from water allotments, and the court rulings makes it impossible for the Navajo Nation to sue the Department of the Interior to make sure they're at the table in the next water negotiations six years later. Despite this setback, the Navajo Nation representative said the tribe will continue to fight for its water rights. The Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, announced $7 billion of the Inflation Reduction Act's Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund will go towards up to 60 residential solar grants to provide access to clean energy to low-income and historically marginalized communities. The EPA said the grants will guarantee savings of at least 20% on electric bills for households that benefit. This Solar for All program was added to the IRA by Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who refused to support one of Biden's recent federal position nominees if the program wasn't started quickly. 
Applications will be open to states, municipalities, territories, and tribal governments through September 26th. The U.S. car company Ford just received the largest federal loan any car company has received since 2009. The conditional $9.2 billion will go towards three new Blue Oval SK electric vehicle battery manufacturing facilities in Kentucky and Tennessee, so the domestic battery manufacturing industry can catch up with China. Blue Oval SK is a joint venture by Ford and the South Korean battery giant SK. Ford has a goal of producing as many as 2 million EVs by 2026, up from about 132,000 it produced in 2022. All the vehicles with batteries produced in U.S. factories will also qualify for the $7,500 consumer-based tax rebate in the Inflation Reduction Act, which is meant to boost the adoption rate of EVs and U.S. manufacturing. Meat production is arguably the largest carbon-emitting part of the agricultural industry. Yet, Americans in particular love eating animal products. So how can we remedy these two realities? Maybe one of the solutions lies in lab-grown meat, which requires less water, chemicals, and land use than farming. Recently, two companies, Outside Foods and Good Meat, received U.S. federal approval to sell their lab-grown chicken products to everyday consumers. Because the process to grow meat is still expensive and it will take time for customers to warm up to this new option, both companies will start by supplying chicken products to a partnering restaurant. Would you try lab-grown meat? As companies are being asked to reduce their environmental impacts more, we're seeing more companies lie about how environmentally friendly their operations and products are. This is called greenwashing. Now we're starting to see regulatory bodies catch up with this trend. The International Sustainable Standards Board, or ISSB, of the International Financial Reporting Standards Foundation, or IFRS, recently issued new sustainability and climate reporting standards companies must follow starting in 2024. The foundation is a nonprofit organization governing international accounting rules, and their guidelines are followed by more than 144 countries to create a uniform language for financial accounting. The U.S. is not one of these countries because, like with seemingly everything, we have our own body, known as Generally Accepted Financial Practices, or GAP. But the U.S. is actually currently contemplating switching to IFRS instead. Anyways, the ISSB, which is again the sustainable arm of the IFRS, hopes that countries like the UK, Japan, and China will quickly adopt its new financial disclosure standards to make it harder for companies to greenwash themselves. The standards define how companies should measure direct and indirect emissions and require companies to audit their emissions data and have a climate strategy that's adopted top-down. The European Union is currently creating its own emissions disclosure standards, and the ISSB hopes that it will align itself with its new standards. We have two news stories out of Portugal to round out this week's climate recap. First, Portugal agreed to allow Cape Verde, a small archipelago nation off West Africa, to use its 140 million pounds of debt it owes to Portugal to invest in Cape Verde's environmental conservation and climate mitigation efforts. For context, Cape Verde used to be a Portuguese colony, so its debt is kind of like how colonialism is persisting to this day. Many colonizing countries aren't comfortable with the idea of just allowing debts to go away, so this debt-to-nature swap idea is a compromise growing in popularity to make up for the climate impact disparity between creditor and debtor countries. Put another way, many in-debt countries are developing ones that are being heavily impacted by climate change just by having little impact on the problem itself. These nations are too busy 
paying off wealthy nations and institutions like the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund to actually invest in better infrastructure or clean energy, making them even more vulnerable. So if the creditor entity agrees to allow the in-debt country to use its money, it would have been used to pay off the debt to instead reduce its emissions or prepare itself against a warming climate, it's kind of a win-win and helps it break the cycle. Right now, Cape Verde is 80% dependent on imported fossil fuels. This debt-to-nature swap money will go towards the country's goal of spending 520 million euros on wind, solar, and green hydrogen by 2030. What do you think of the debt-for-nature swap concept? Let me know. On the Portugal side, it recently announced it will more than double its 2030 solar and green hydrogen goals to speed up its domestic clean energy transition. Portugal plans to be carbon neutral by 2045, which involves shutting down its gas-fired power plants by 2040. All European Union countries are required to send updated climate and clean energy goals to Brussels, so this announcement was part of Portugal's revised plan. Now the country wants to have almost 43 gigawatts of renewable energy installed and 5.5 gigawatts of green hydrogen produced by 2030. And that was your climate recap for the week. If you found this information useful, please like and share this video so more people can see it. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Thank you so much to the people on Patreon who helped support me and my fair baby Rue. A special shout out to the climate confident and courageous David H., Norman Anal, Greg H., Paul B., Phil Plasma, Dan Morton, Nate, Specker, Bree C, Climate Teacher John J, Deanne, Steve, Kevin Morton, and SKP Joe Korsgold. I greatly appreciate your support of $5 or more. If you would like to support the Becosphere, please check out the Patreon and buy me a coffee links in the description below for reoccurring or one-time payments. Bye for now.